pay. Mike mentioned various people who are needing our prayers. Another one to add to that list is Alan Sheringham. Uh, we miss him. He's always sitting there, but he's not well. He needs to go into hospital, I think, for a blood transfusion. And uh, so he's not, not very good at all. So please pray for, pray for Alan as well. Okay, let's just read here from Matthew 4:23. You don't need to turn to it. Well, you can if you're welcome to. You're welcome to if you want to, but it's just one verse. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about him spread all over Syria. I never noticed Syria was in there before. News about him spread all over Syria. Perhaps not quite the same Syria that we know today, but that's sort of maybe in that direction. So Jesus, thinking about, easily think about him being born as a baby, but Jesus, affirmed by the Father, this is my son, baptized, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he goes out and he begins his ministry which included, as we know, teaching the good news, the good news of the kingdom, healing sicknesses, driving out demons, setting people free. This was the good news of the kingdom of God. And news traveled fast. They didn't, uh, they didn't have social media then, but it still traveled. And you can imagine, can't you, these people coming to him to hear what he had to say to be healed of their diseases and to be set free from demonic forces that controlled their lives. This was indeed good news. And you can imagine the people, imagine the conversations that people were having about about this Jesus, about this man, about the things that he he was doing. And yet there were also questions. They had questions and concerns because... They knew that something special was going on here. They could see that. That was evident, very evident, in what was happening as he proclaimed the good news, as it was manifested in these miracles. And yet, it didn't quite match up with some of their expectations. Though, you see, many people were expecting a Messiah. Many people were expecting the kingdom of God to come. They got lots of references in their scriptures to these events, and in some ways, Jesus matched some, but he didn't match others. And what was going on? How, how was this? I'd like us to just read, or have read to us, two, two well-known passages from the Old Testament. We could pick on lots, and I think Graham, is it, or Natasha? Natasha, right. He's going to come and read two very well-known scriptures to us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, and then Daniel chapter 2. First on Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Brilliant. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. So as she turns to the next passage, you can see there that this, this coming king, this Messiah would come to rule. And his kingdom would be very evident. 
He was those wonderful descriptions of him as king, but then he was going to rule and he was going to rule forever. The government would now be upon his shoulders. And uh, how was this happening for Jesus? How did this fit in with him and his ministry then? I'm going to read us the second passage in Daniel chapter 2. I'm echoing a bit. Okay, well, I can't do a thing about that, but perhaps there's somebody who can. But um, Okay, so a Messiah to rule and a kingdom to last. Okay, so that was, a, that was a vision, wasn't it, that Nebuchadnezzar had. And then Daniel even called him to him and told him what the vision was, because he, he said, I'm not just looking for an interpretation. I, um, I want to know what it is. And, he, and they had this picture of this statue. And the statue, of course, was different kingdoms. And the head of the statue was made of gold, and that was Nebuchadnezzar and his, his rule. But then after him would come other kingdoms, the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. And then what happened? This little rock, <laughs> comes, this little pebble comes rolling down the hill and it crashes into this statue, this great big statue. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar had a big statue built, didn't he? A real one. And it crashes into the statue and the statue crumbles and it falls to bits. Just like dust and the wind blows the dust away. And then this little rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And, and when Daniel gives the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar, he says he's looking forward to this king that was going to come and this kingdom that was going to come. And so when the people in Jesus' day who knew these scriptures looked at Jesus, they said, is he the Messiah? When is he going to rule? Because Herod's still in charge, isn't he, around here? And we're still overall underneath the, underneath the Roman oppression, the Roman government. So is he the Messiah? You can understand them asking that questions. And what about this kingdom that's going to last? He was supposed to rule forever and ever. He was supposed to replace all these other kingdoms. And yet, he's just a man. He doesn't have a kingdom, does he? And so you can understand the concerns that they had. How did this fit with Jesus? And the, 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 you know, we read in Luke 17, don't we, about how the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Okay, Jesus, where's your kingdom? When is it going to happen? I'm sure they said that, you know, with a sort of, uh, uh, in a fairly derogatory way. Where is it? Where's your kingdom? And because he, he said to them, he said, well, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is something that actually you, you personally come to recognize that my kingdom authority, my kingly authority in your lives. But it's interesting then, after that, he then speaks to his disciples. He answers the Pharisees, but then he speaks to his disciples. And he says to his disciples, 
For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning. And he talks about the lightning flashing across the sky. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So even then to his disciples, Jesus points forward to a coming day when he will come as king and all people will see it. There is another day, another appearing. And of course, who Jesus was at times concerned his disciples, concerned John the Baptist. Are you, are you the one? Are you the one? They weren't, he wasn't sure. Are you the one or should we expect another? And yet how could Jesus do all these wonderful signs if he wasn't the Messiah? But you can imagine their concerns and whatever. How was it? How did Jesus fulfill these prophecies from the Old Testament? Well, here's one, here's one way of thinking about this. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that? I'm looking strictly at my reader this morning. Do you recognize that? You should. Because we walked through here, through these trees, and we walked up that path there that you can just see. It's not the clearest of slides. Okay, Martin, that's cat bells, yeah. Right, and we walked. We had to walk about three miles before we even started. And so when we started climbing up cat bells, um, I was quite concerned about Caleb and Philippa when they were, you know, were they going to make this? You know, it was a, it's a real climb. After a few hundred yards, I wasn't worrying about them at all. I was worrying about whether I was going to make this climb because I was seriously panting at the beginning. That's cat bells. And it's a, a, it's a range of, uh, a range of uh, well, not, yeah, lots of different hills. Well, they're more than hills. They are mountains in the Lake District. And um, here's another view. You see, the first view that you saw there, which wasn't so clear, was of this. This is the path that we went up to the top. And of course, when we got to the top, when I finally made the top, you know, managed to catch up with Philip and Caleb or whatever else, I, when I finally got to the top, I realized, of course, it's not the top. There's another top. <laughs> we had to go down again and then go up to the second height. And, um, and then we went even further. We, had, we walked for miles and miles that day. And um, you see, if, but if you were looking at cat bells from a distance, you might only see this peak. Or indeed, if you saw the two peaks, they might appear as one. And as these Old Testament prophets look forward, I don't know whether it's, it was that what they saw or whether it was the way interpreted by their readers. But they saw, they saw what they perhaps thought was one peak. But actually, there was more than one peak. There were two peaks. There was a peak of when Jesus Christ would come as a man, as a baby, and his kingdom would be within people's hearts. People would choose whether they listened to him and responded to him. And there was another peak that is still to come when Jesus would come in all his glory and the kingdom of God would be established here on earth. And that one is still to come. When Jesus the Son, as he said many times to his disciples, when the Son would come in his glory. You know, people sometimes talk, don't they, about Jesus being a, a good teacher. People who aren't Christians, you know, we should follow the teaching of Jesus. Well, as C.S. Lewis said, Jesus was either, 
if he wasn't if he wasn't good if he wasn't God he was either mad or bad because Jesus made some amazing claims didn't he this man said I'm going to come in my glory and all the nations are going to be gathered before me and I will judge them and he said that more than once because Jesus although he just walked as an ordinary man he knew that his kingdom was coming he knew there'd be a time when he comes in glory and all see him. Everyone will see him as we sang in that last song. The whole of the earth will see him. And they'll realize, and we will realize who he is. So the kingdom of God is both, the kingdom of God is both present and personal, as it was in a sense when Jesus walked this earth and is with us now. But it also is future and universal. The kingdom of God will come. We enter the kingdom of God by repenting, as Mike's already reminded us this morning, by repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And through that we have forgiveness. But you know, forgiveness is not the end. Forgiveness is the means by which we enter the kingdom of God. So that when he comes in his glory, we will be part of his kingdom. Sometimes we, we, we're in danger sometimes of preaching a message that sounds something like this. Turn to Jesus, have your sins forgiven, go to heaven when you die. That's only half, that's only, not half, that's only part of the truth. You will go to heaven when you die, but that heaven is not, that heaven is not the end. What is the end? Well, we're going to look at it now together. The end is the kingdom of God, where God rules. And therefore, there is righteousness and justice and peace and love, of course, he said, will continue to, and many other wonderful things. That is the end. Not heaven when you die, but being part of his kingdom. And you come into that kingdom through knowing the forgiveness of your sins. If you, if you enter the kingdom now, you'll... Through that means, you will be ready for the King of Glory when he comes. And he will welcome you into his kingdom. So we know something now of the kingdom of God. But there's much more to come. What will, what will the kingdom of God look like when it comes? You ever tempted to read the end of the story? Ever tempted to look at what happens, you know, without reading all the rest? Just let's go to let's just go to the end, you know. Let's just go to those last few pages, and then we'll decide whether the rest is worth reading or not. But okay, so somebody's going to read some of the end of the story to us now, and I think it's Paul. were angry and your wrath has come, 
The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who, who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And if you turn, turn to chapter, uh, where are we? chapter, chapter 21, and it's verses 1 to 5. Okay, before you, before you read that, the... What, what do we see there? We see the seventh angel with the seventh trumpet, right? Seven is what? The, the number for completeness. The number for finality, right? For, for, for perfection. The seventh angel blows his seventh trumpet. This is now the end. This is the end. The end of all things. And what is the end of all things? The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. That is... The final end of all things. There's much more to enjoy from Zion, but that is it. So don't lose sight of that. That is what we hold on to. Now read Revelation 21, a very well-known passage that is read at funeral services. I read it at my own dad's funeral because it speaks of what it will be like in that kingdom. seated on the throne said I'm making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true thank you Paul I'm making everything new it's all new it's great to have something new isn't it great to have something that's brand spanking new no marks on it no, no rust whatever else something new well God's making everything new my wife would like a, um, a, uh, a camper van, right? So just if you're thinking of getting her a present at some stage, uh, a VW camper van is what she's after. And I found this one. It's going cheap, um, very cheap. Uh, but I've got a feeling it, it won't impress her very, very much. But it is a VW camper van, right? Okay. That's probably what she'd like. This is what I can afford, and that's what you'd like. Okay. Um, so we'll have a whip round afterwards. Now, that is a VW camper van, and this is a VW camper van. All agreed? In fact, that becomes that, because someone like Marcus gets hold of it, and someone as clever as talented as him is able to turn that into that. So all I need to do is get that, Marcus, and bring it to you and say, do, 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 your, do your magic on it, okay? Because he can do those sort of things. People get, we get sometimes confused about new heavens and new earth. Let me show you the earth as it is now. That's the earth, agreed? Let me show you the new earth. Old earth... New earth, old earth, new earth. And you say, whoops, 
going back too far. You say, well, it looks the same. And that's because I think it, in that sense, it is the same. You see, and I think on this earth, although you can't see it, I think there are still cities, I think there are still rivers, I think there are still streets, I think there's people, I think there's animals, I think there's food and wine and celebration. And we could name one or two others. Because all of those are mentioned in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, about the new kingdom. Now, all right, you could say they are symbols, and maybe they are, and one day we'll all find out for sure. But I'm not so sure they are symbols. I'm not so sure they're not real. And that the kingdom of, of kingdom, the new earth, is indeed this earth. But it's been made new by someone who can do that, who can make it altogether new. And on this new earth, there will be a new order of things, completely different order of things. We read, didn't they, that there'd be no suffering, no death, no pain. All those old things, like off that VW camp, all that which had got bits missing and it was rusting, all, all of that stripped away, finished, and turned into something wonderful and new. Talks in Romans 8, I think Roger mentioned this last week, that, that the creation has been set free in the new earth. That's why I don't think the world is destroyed <laughs> because he says it's all going to be liberated. It can't be destroyed if it's, it can't be liberated if it's going to be destroyed or if it is, that seems very strange to me. Creation is, re- is restored. It's brought back to what, it, what God intended it to be. When God made it and he looked to the earth, what did he say? He said, it's very good. Well, if it was very good, why doesn't he want it to be very good again? I think he does. I think it will be. And that's going to be absolutely wonderful. A new order of things. Things will not decay and rot like they do now. There's going to be a new people. They are people. They are people. (laughs) They're not ghosts or whatever else. They are people. I'm a person. You're a person. We are people. But there'll be new people because these people will be like Not the first Adam, but the second Adam. These people will be like Jesus Christ. They'll be beautiful. I don't know if they'll... They'll probably look beautiful. In fact, I'm hoping I can look a bit more beautiful in the next life than I do in this one. But but they will be beautiful people because their characters will be the character and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be transformed to be like him. And, And we will... Well, I'm sure we'll all be different. I'm sure we'll all be unique, just as everything in this creation is unique. In the new one, we'll also be unique. So we'll have our different personalities and all the rest of it. But our characters will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And won't it be great living with people like that? Because we won't be falling out. We won't be having problems with our neighbors. We won't, we won't have all these relationship difficulties. Because we'll be like Jesus. A new people. I, uh, we uh, sang yesterday in the, um, amongst all the other carols, Once in Royal David City, and um, in the Morrisons, and uh, you do it, we do have to question sometimes, I mean that's generally a pretty good carol, but I have to take issue with its last verse, because it talks about, and our eyes at last shall see him, 
Yeah, the last verse of Once in Rodicity. And I wrote it, went and looked it up afterwards. It says, We like stars, his children crowned, all in white will wait around. Where does it say that in the Bible? I mean, that sounds more like a hospital ward, doesn't it? Or, well, actually, even worse than that, it sound, it could be, that could be a mortuary, actually, couldn't it? All in white will wait around. I don't think that's true at all. I think that's a nonsense. I think we will be active. I think we will be doing. We're made to create. We're made to make and do things. That's what God's made us to be. Why do you think you won't be doing that in the new kingdom, the new creation, a new people? And last of all, this is why it's all new, isn't it? Because God lives here. God lives here and he reigns here. And we will see him face to face. I don't know what that will be like. I cannot imagine what that will be like to look at at Jesus, to look at my God. But we will see him face to face. And that will change everything. And because he's there, it will be that place of justice and righteousness. This is his home. This is where God lives. I believe God will live here on earth. I believe the new heaven and earth is the heaven and earth coming together. And by the way, if you think I'm really off track here, and I know some of you might be, I'm actually preaching what is held as true by many, many, many Reformed theologians. So I'm not, I'm not completely off the, off, the, off the wall here. I think this is what Scripture teaches. This is what we look forward to. This is our home. This is where we will live forever. And we won't be bored singing choruses all the time. If that is the sort of world that God has got planned for us, and Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, he's talking about the future. He's encouraging people by talking about the day of the Lord. And he just then he says to his readers, he said, if this is all true, what sort of people, what kind of people ought we to be? If this is true, what kind of people ought we to be now? C.T. Studd. I don't know if I've shown this. I may have used this slide before here. I've certainly used it since moving. Um, C.T. Studd was a, a great cricketer. Actually, he, he had everything going for him, C.T. Studd. He was very rich. Uh, he went to Cambridge University. While he was at Cambridge University, he started playing cricket and he was playing for England while he was still at university. He was an all-rounder. He was tipped, expected to be the new England captain. Of course, this is the days of the British Empire. This is when cricket was really important and we taught the world how to play cricket. And he was a great cricketer. So he had everything going for him. In Wisdom's Almanac, that's the cricketer's Bible. You can, if, you, if you want to read one, there's great reading for late at night. I know Steve Coldrick's got a copy, so just go and ask him for his copy of Wisdom's. Um, but in Wisdom's, it says this. After talking about how, what a great cricketer it is, it says, Unhappily for English cricket, C.T. Studd was not seen on the cricket field after 1884. It doesn't say any more about him. That's where it finishes. 
C.C. Studd was not seen on an English cricket field after 1884. Why? Well, it didn't tell us. But the reason is, is because he was going to live for the kingdom. And so he gave all his money away to Muller and Bernardo. And you know what they did with his money? The children and others. And he and his wife went off to China and India and then Africa. And that's where they spent all their days. These were dark lands. These were heathen lands, not civilized. And he did it for this reason. Because he knew that the things that he was involved in here would not last. The old earth would not last. But he really believed that there was a world coming that would last. And he wanted to do everything he could in preparation for that world that other people would enter that new world with him. And so he, he gave his life for the world to come. People thought he was a fool. People laughed at him. Why would a man who's got everything give it all up and go to some God-forsaken place the other side of the planet? One day, the people, who, the people who laughed at him, who called him a fool, one day they will be seen as fools. One day they will be seen as fools. Because actually the kingdom that C.T. Studd believed in is the kingdom that's going to come, and it's the kingdom that's going to stay. All the rest will be like ash and dust that the wind blows away. How should we live if we believe these things? Well, we should do as Graham was encouraging us a couple of weeks ago. We should seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else should be second. You can only have one first here. Only one first. Either Jesus and his kingdom are first, or they're not. What is it going to be? What's it going to be for me? What's it going to be for you? Jesus said, seek first this kingdom, my kingdom, and righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Everything else is second. So therefore, if Jesus is first, my family is second. My work is second. My house is second. My career is second. Everything, my hobbies are second. Everything else is second. If Jesus is first, they have to be second. So what do you mean then? You mean I shouldn't care about my family? You mean I shouldn't look after my children? No, but in the, even in that case, the kingdom of God should come first. And when I was preparing this in the week, I had to stop. This week, right? I had to stop because I suddenly thought, yes, w- was I putting the kingdom first with my family? I don't think I was. It wasn't just that I didn't spend much time for them, but the things that I was cared about for them were not the things that really matter. You see, actually, it doesn't really matter what education they get. 
It doesn't really matter what career they get. It doesn't matter how well they do in this life. Those things are all good and they're to be encouraged. But what really matters, isn't it, is that they're in the kingdom of God. Because without that, they have nothing. They're lost. That's what really matters. And that I should be an example to them of what it is to live in the kingdom of God. That's all that counts. Now, I can't go back in terms of my kids. I can't go back into their childhoods and do things differently. But what I can do is do, be different from now, can't I? And so can you. You can't change what you've already done, but you can make it different now if you want it to be. If you were to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and put everything else second, and then we can look forward to enjoying that kingdom of glory that he has planned for us and enjoying it with them and our other friends and family and the strangers we don't know that we just meet on the streets or wherever because that's what God wants. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Colossians 3, you might want to read some of those other versions. Colossians, the first few verses of Colossians 3. For this is good news. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. That is the end of all things. And that, brothers and sisters, is worth living for. That is the only thing that's worth really living for. May God help us to do that. Let's just be quiet for a moment as I pray and then Michael close out. So Lord, we you you know our hearts, you know my heart, you know that you know that even sometimes wanting to seek wanting to seek first the kingdom, I don't have that desire. So, so Lord, we ask that you'd help us. We'd ask that you'd, you'd, you'd help us, Lord, to change the way that we think, change our motivations, change our intentions, but make them more than good intentions. And that, Lord, that one day, and maybe very soon, when we meet you, when we're welcomed into your kingdom of glory, Lord, we pray that not only we, but our families and our friends and others that we knew, strangers that we never meet, that they will join us there to enjoy eternity with you. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.